Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. Last episode, I asked listeners to name Bible characters in addition to Simon Peter, who would never wear a suit if they had lived today. We received a number of good responses. Esau, Jacob's hairy red brother, and apparently no one can picture this furry, manly ginger getting all gussied up for a night on the town. Another listener said Jonah, unless of course he was wearing a wetsuit. Also mentioned was John the Baptist. And to the best of my knowledge, they still haven't come out with a line of camel hair Armani suits. Finally, someone said Adam before the fall, because you see, he was naked. And a birthday suit doesn't count. Another name that came up often was Noah. But pretty much everyone decided that he would wear one, but under very, very special circumstances. And I wonder if those circumstances would include this month's story, Noah Primeval, The Abyss. This month's story is a little different than the standard fare here at the Untold Podcast, because this story is one small story inside a larger story in the novel Noah Primeval. It's also different because this story is not biblical fiction, but rather biblical fantasy, which is a fun genre that maintains the heart and message of the story, but puts these characters into a fantasy world. And that sort of stuff is just perfect for the Untold Podcast. Noah Primeval the Abyss was written by Brian Gadawa. Brian Gadawa has been a professional filmmaker, writer, and designer for over 20 years. He is a screenwriter, and his credits include the award-winning film To End All Wars, starring Kiefer Sutherland, an adaptation of Frank Peretti's The Visitation, Alleged, and numerous others. He also writes and speaks on worldview and film throughout the United States. You can find more information on all of his films, books, and lectures over at www. .gadawa.com. That's G-O-D-A-W-A.com. You can find more about his book series, Chronicles of the Nephilim, over at www.chroniclesofthenephilim.com, and you can look that up in the show notes later on. This is the world of this month's story, and so far four books have been published, Noah Primeval, Enoch Primordial, Gilgamesh Immortal, and Abraham Allegiant, as well as an audiobook of Noah Primeval. Go check them out. You'll be glad you did. And now, The Untold Podcast is proud to present Noah Primeval, The Abyss, by Brian Gadawa. The pit was unimaginably deep. It was only ten cubits, or fifteen feet diameter, black and solid, unbreakably hard, unscalable rock. And it must have gone down for immeasurable leagues of distance, so deep one could not see the bottom. But there was a bottom, eventually. And it was the furthest depth of Sheol. It was the uttermost distance from the presence of Elohim. It was here that Noah had been imprisoned. Perpetual darkness, impenetrable silence, and absolute isolation. There was a flat stone to sleep on. A sole oil lamp that could be refueled only as food was occasionally lowered down in a basket. 
Noah was, after all, still alive. It would not do the forces of darkness well to have the chosen seed dead, only to be replaced by someone else. Noah looked up toward the heavens, which he could only imagine were so far away it wouldn't matter what he yelled. But he yelled anyway. Elohim! Why have you done this to me? His voice would not echo up the leagues of empty cavern walls, as one would suspect. Instead, it was stifled, like whispers in a coffin, as if the words did not go beyond his own hearing, as if the words did not extend beyond his lips. It was as if he was in a vortex of sound and reality that swirled right back into him in absolute solitary confinement. For so long, Noah had complained about wanting to be left alone, and now he was given his wish to the utmost. He was finally, totally, and utterly alone. And he realized what a complete selfish fool he had been. He looked up at the wall. He could only see a few feet into the darkness with the lamp he had. Like a desperate rat, he jumped up, trying to grab a foothold, anything. He fell to the ground in a crumple, weeping. He looked at the brass wrist brace he had worn to remind himself of his wife. He ripped it off and threw it to the corner. The sight of it would only multiply his torment tenfold in this hell. He went mad. He pulled at his clothes, ripping them into pieces in a frenzied anger of self-pity until he was stark naked. He looked up to heaven again. He was going mad, but he still had his pride. I hate you! Do you hear me? God of Enoch, I hate you! Of course there was no response. Are you deaf and dumb? Are you blind? Still no answer. What do you want from me? What have I ever done to deserve this? Answer me! What have I done to deserve all this? What have I... And suddenly, from deep within his bowels, a groan of despair and resignation overwhelmed him. He fell to his knees, weeping in deep sobs. The words he was saying were the same, but they now meant the opposite of his original intent. Accusation turned to confession. What have I done? What have I done to deserve this? I deserve this. I deserve all this. He wept his very soul into the void. He was broken. He could say no more. He could only sob bitter tears of repentance. Noah, the whisper said. Noah stopped. He had heard it. He listened for more. Nothing. But he had heard it. He knew that voice. He quickly rummaged through his discarded clothes and pulled out his dagger. It was his redemption. He went over to the wall, carrying his small lamp to light the surface. He began to scratch the rock. Carefully, he carved cuneiform etchings that were directions. Then he scratched out the picture of the tabah, the box from his calling in a dream that would not let him go. 
He scratched like a madman. He would not stop, not even for the food lowered in the basket by some minion of hell leagues above him. He just kept scratching. Noah did not know how long he had been there, but his beard had grown in. He looked up at the wall, dimly lit by his little lamp. The entire wall all around, 360 degrees, up to the height of his reach, was covered with scratching. It was the blueprint and directions for the box carved over and over again. The blade in his hand had been worn to the hilt. Noah's mind was emptied of its obsession. He was bled dry of his pride. He collapsed to the floor in a broken heap. And then from above, he heard a distant sound grow louder. It cut through the darkness and split the void. He knew that sound. It was the unmistakable resonance of Uriel's trumpet. He looked up into the void. He could see nothing. But he kept looking up in faith. Moments later, a rope dropped to the floor. It was followed by the figure of Uriel, the archangel, rappelling down the wall. He landed on the ground with a thud. Noah looked up at him. Uriel looked back up from where he had came and muttered, Now that is a deep pit. You came back for me, Noah blubbered, barely able to speak. Uriel smiled with a big grin. You know Elohim. He hounds you until you freely obey. He had that hint of irony that Noah had learned to love so dearly. Noah burst out laughing in tears, and Uriel could see that Noah was a new man. He shared the laugh with Noah, helped his weak companion to his feet, and embraced him. What took you so long? said Noah with an impish smirk on his face. Uriel grinned back. There was a little matter of the giant refame I had to take care of. You took care of seven Raphaim? asked an amazed Noah. Uriel gave him a parental scolding look. <laughs> of course not. I had help. Uriel grabbed Noah and helped him onto his back as Uriel seized the rope to begin his eternal climb back to reality. We cannot always save ourselves, Noah, he said. But then I gather you understand that now. Hurry up, will you? snorted Noah. I have a box to build. Uriel grinned and began his ascent with mighty, archangelic speed and power. Noah was so fatigued he fell asleep on the climb up. When they arrived at the top, Uriel fell to the ground, exhausted. His muscles were worn out from the climb and cramping. He tried to catch his breath and took a huge drink from a wineskin in his belt. The impact of Uriel's collapse woke Noah. He looked around the cave they were in and saw three of the giant Chthonic Raphaim lying on their faces to the ground, bound by cords Noah could not see. No doubt the barely perceptible cherubim hair he had been shown earlier by Uriel. There were three angelic warriors standing on their necks. They stepped down and approached Noah. Uriel had to stay seated on the ground. Who are they? Noah asked. Archangels, said Uriel. The warriors came and hugged the awkward Noah as if he were family. This is Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. 
said Uriel. The three nodded as they were introduced. They were as handsome and muscle-bound as Uriel. More so. The thought went through Noah's mind that he actually got the least impressive of the bunch in Uriel. Strange if he was supposed to be so important as the chosen seed. Noah opened his mouth to direct a verbal stab in Uriel's direction. But all that came out was, Thank you for your efforts. Just don't let it happen again, said Michael with a touch of humor. Uriel is already in trouble for his guardianship of you. <laughs> or lack thereof, joked Gabriel. You bound the refame, said Noah in surprise. I told you, said Uriel. It's a special talent we have, though not without its difficulties. And then Noah's forehead crinkled with concern. Uriel, I thought you said you took care of seven refame. There are only three of them on the ground. I did not say seven, corrected Uriel. You did. It was a detail I considered too petty to correct at the time. But now, I believe it is exceedingly relevant to our safety. We should make good our escape. But before they could even move an inch, a bellowing, inhuman scream filled the air, accompanied by a stampeding rafa bursting through the cave opening, headed right at Noah. Uriel noticed it was limping, and he remembered Methuselah's words to him before diving back into the abyss. Michael and Gabriel leapt into action, diving at the Rafa's shins and tackling it to the ground inches from Noah. Uriel pushed Noah out of the way as the Rafa first came pounding down toward his head. If Uriel was at his full strength, it would not have hurt so badly, but he was still weakened from his eternal climb up from that infernal pit with Noah on his back. His muscles were too weak to deflect. He had to absorb. He blacked out. Now it was Noah's turn. He pulled Uriel out of the way of the second strike from the beast. Gabriel leapt on the creature's back and pulled its head back like a tethered stallion as Raphael and Michael dragged him out of reach by his feet. The Rafa grabbed Gabriel over his head and threw him against the cave wall with a thundering crash. These Rafame were harder than the Nephilim on Earth because they were dead and had greater strength in the underworld than in the land of the living. But so did the Archangels. Michael and Raphael had their cords out to bind the beast and were hogtying it before it could regain its balance to get up. Uriel walked up to the Rafa. He could not kill these things, but there was one thing he could do to bring them pain. He reached with both hands and grabbed the Rafa's eyeballs, and with a mighty grip and yank, he ripped them both out of their eye sockets and threw them into the deep pit out of which he had crawled. The Rafa screamed in agony. Uriel leaned in and whispered in the Chthonic monster's ear, That was for Methuselah ben Enoch. You son of iniquity. The other angels watched Uriel with shock as he pulled Noah toward the entrance of the cave. Noah was afraid of him. That had seemed brutally out of character for Uriel. But if they had seen the murder of Methuselah's wife those many generations ago, they would not consider it inappropriate at all. They were up a mountainside. A thousand cubits below them, a myriad of shades scrambled from the mountain base toward them. 
The three missing Rafane trampled over the shades, crushing them indiscriminately on their way up toward the cave entrance. Their hideous screams pierced Noah's and Uriel's ears. Uriel pulled Noah over to the side wall of the ledge. He looked up. It was a rock climb of at least 60 cubits. Before Noah could register, Uriel had grabbed him and lifted him up to the rock with a grunt and yelled, Climb! Normally, Uriel would have been able to throw Noah a good 10 cubits up, but not in his exhausted state. Noah climbed for all he was worth. Breathing hard, Uriel looked up at the wall before him. Well, at least he didn't have to carry Noah again. But he had to keep moving. He grabbed a rock and climbed. Even in his fatigued condition, he passed up Noah and arrived at the top just as the Rafame were at the bottom, climbing like spiders toward their prey. It would be only seconds. Uriel reached down and grabbed Noah's cloak, pulling him up and over the ledge onto the mountaintop. The ceiling of the watery abyss was just ten cubits over their head. There was no way Uriel was going to be able to do it. He would have to throw Noah the distance up to the abyss. But the Rafame were already on the ledge and sprinting for them. Uriel whispered a prayer to Elohim, grabbed Noah, and with every last ounce left in him, heaved Noah the ten cubits up to the water, just as the two Rafame hit him and tackled him to the ground, crushing him in a heap. It wouldn't take but a moment for one of them to help the other leap the distance to the water ceiling. But they would not be leaping, because they were dragged off Uriel by three very riled archangels. Noah desperately kicked for the surface through the dark waters of the abyss. He wouldn't have much air to spare in making it to the top. He didn't know where he was or where he would end up. He just had to make it to the surface. His lungs were burning. He panicked. He was so desperate for survival that seeing the shadowy form of Leviathan swimming in the distance only added to his despair. The fearsome offspring of Rahab. Could it get much worse than this? What difference would it make anyway? He would be drowned by the time the monster reached him. Noah felt the urge to give up. Suddenly, he felt a shoving from below. Uriel had followed him and was kicking with superhuman force, thrusting Noah upward. He knew Uriel was weak, but he seemed to find a hidden source of unending bursts of energy. He would have to make a joke about that if they made it out alive. And he did make it. Bursting the surface, gasping for air, Uriel beside him in moments, sputtering out the next command. Swim! There was an Indus Valley trading ship sailing their direction. The Indus Valley was an exotic civilization far southeast of the Zagros Mountains that lay on the coast of the Lower Sea. Noah and Uriel were spotted from the crow's nest as the ship approached. Noah kicked with everything in him. Uriel kept looking over his shoulder for the sea monster. Its spiny, snake-like back broke the surface not a hundred cubits out, glistening in the sun, gliding toward them, all seven of its heads focused with predator intensity. Seven sets of eyes, 
seven sets of razor teeth. It had all the time in the world. It was said of Leviathan that on earth there was not its like, a creature without fear, considered the king over all the sons of pride. Nothing seemed to be able to match its ferocity or its power. Swords, javelins, and harpoons were all broken in its armored scales. Even its belly was covered with protection, like sharp potsherds. It was said that Leviathan could belch forth flame from some of its seven heads, like a burning torch, and smoke from its nostrils, as from a boiling pot or burning rushes. It could crush the hull of a warship into splinters. It was said that Leviathan ruled the abyss with seven times the terror of Rahab. Knowing all this about the predator, Uriel stayed behind, treading water. He could barely keep himself afloat. He was hyperventilating. He knew that he would be no match for the jaws of Leviathan, even if he were not so drained of all of his vitality. But he would divert its attention from Noah. He could at least do that. He would be a willing sacrifice in mere moments. But that moment did not come. He turned around in the water. It was nowhere to be seen. It hadn't gone past him either because Noah was being helped up the side of the merchant ship. Uriel swam to the craft, waiting for the worst to come. Leviathan was a creature of chaos, but it was intelligent. It operated with calculation. This just didn't make sense. Something wicked was coming. Uriel made it to the ship. The sailors helped him up. The masked man shouted, Leviathan! All hands on deck moved like the wind. Uriel and Noah looked out to the sea on the starboard side. Strange. They had climbed up the port side. It must have passed under them and was circling back. The armored spine of the dragon broke the surface coming at them. Was it gathering momentum for a strike? A warship would not have a chance against this beast, let alone a merchant trading vessel laden with carnelia, lapis lazuli, and pearls rather than soldiers and weapons. The creature was three times the length of the ship and six times its weight. It would snap the craft like a handful of toothpicks. But the sailors were not waiting around to find out. They were trimming the sail to catch the windward blow, while the others joined the slaves at the oars, rowing for their lives. It was all quite futile. They could not outrun the sea dragon, and they could not withstand its mighty force. But they refused to resign themselves to fate. They would struggle for life to the very end. The captain of the ship interrupted Noah and Uriel's attention. He had olive dark skin, black hair, and a terrified look of anger on his face. What curse is this that you have brought upon us all? We will all die. I am a simple merchant. I have not wronged the gods. Why are you here in the middle of the sea? Are you demons? It was one long stream of hyperventilation that matched Uriel's own laboring for breath. Finally, Uriel collapsed to the deck. There was nothing more he could do. There was nowhere else to run. He rested his head against the mast. It actually stopped the captain's string of complaints. But then the captain turned his attention to Noah and spewed a fresh litany of accusations at him as well. 
only to be interrupted by his crow's nest lookout above yelling down. Captain! It is below us! Leviathan is below us! The captain froze. Noah tilted his head. Below us? What does he mean, below us? Uriel struggled to get up, and they ran to the side of the boat to peer into the water below. The sight struck everyone silent. Sailors all over the vessel stared in shock. The ship was tacking northward toward the gulf inlet at a breezy pace, and directly below the ship, at thrice its size, gliding along just cubits below the flat hull of the boat, was Leviathan, matching the pace of the ship as if it was escorting the craft back to land. Leviathan was guarding the seagoing vessel. Now the captain looked at Noah and blurted out a new stream of consciousness. Only this time, it was in a tone of adoration. Who is this man whom the gods favor? Where do you come from? Who is your god that we may worship him? Are you a god that you tame Leviathan? Noah remained astonished. Uriel grinned. It appears I am not your only guardian. It was not so strange that at this very moment, words of poetry came to Noah's heart. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power he stilled the sea. By his understanding he shattered Leviathan. By his wind the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power? Who can understand? And Noah knew that Elohim was his guardian. The crass merchant captain interrupted his pious thoughts. We are going inland up the river for trade. Will you voyage with us? <laughs> I see you're a lucky charm as well, quipped Uriel under his breath to Noah. Noah said to the captain, We will go as far as Erech. Noah paused. Uriel thought he might still be sidetracked by his past desire for revenge, after all. But that was quickly put to rest, after Noah continued, From there we will trek into the Zagros Mountains. Uriel sighed with deep relief. They were going to look for the hidden valley where Methuselah and Noah's tribal survivors had been sent. He was going to find them and build the box. story. I hope you liked it. Just build the ark, Noah. It's for your own good. How much time could be saved if we would just be obedient to the God of the universe? How much stress would be relieved if we stopped fighting him? 
How many eyeballs would still be in their giant king's sockets if we just ran a little faster when escaping the clutches of Shoal? I don't know about that last one, but it seems to me life has more meaning, more purpose, and more direction once we stop our rebellion and surrender to God. If you like this story, want to contribute one of your own, or get involved in the podcast, feel free to stop by www.untoldpodcast.com and drop a note to the appropriate contact. So until next time, I leave you with my favorite line from the story. Uriel smiled with a big grin. You know Elohim. He hounds you until you freely obey. <laughs>